RPG Academy presents... fifth edition actual play. Starring Michael as Arami Mott, Scott as Dane Seaborn, and Matthew as Cassandra Ziegengeist. Featuring Caleb, your game master. This actual play is supported by BattleBards.com. So we pick up the story. You are exiting the cave where such tragic events had just occurred. Coming back out of the caves, there were no further difficulties or problems. It is almost as if there were no magical energies left in the caves to power the oddities that you had experienced before. So the three of you are walking out of the cave. Uh, Michael, Army is there with her parents. How did the three of you exit the cave? Army's in that sort of shocked state. Like, she's almost numb emotionally, so she's not really started crying yet or gotten angry. She's still in that shocked phase. But I would assume that I probably am having to help my parents out. I don't know what condition they were in. but So essentially, I would have like an arm around both of them, sort of half leading and half carrying them out of the cave. So we're we're all like, arm-in-arm linked together, shoulder-to-shoulder as we exit. And your mother is actually leaning on your shoulder quite heavily, uh, necessitating that you actually support her bodily. She is sobbing quietly to herself, but this is true emotion, not any false front she might have put forward in the past. She is truly heartbroken with these events. Your father is... Maintaining a strong front, but you can see the sorrow on his face. Scott, what was Dane doing with Tilly's body as they exited the cave? Dane is uh, walking very gingerly, very quietly, with um, bits of tears streaming down the grime from the cave that is built up on his face, but but otherwise he's uh, completely stone silent as he carries the the body of Tilly and he and Tilly's unborn child in a, a bride's carry. Firemen would be more efficient, but that's that's not what we're doing. We're, he, he has her strewn over both of his arms, and he is gently leading her body out back into the light. And Matthew, with Cassander's friends and family being so distraught, what what is he doing as the group exits the cave? Uh, I would say Cassander is uh, checking 
on his um his haul from the cave as a nervous tick almost because he doesn't know what to say to anyone at this moment he's not above the the heartbreak that everyone's experienced obviously he he knew tilly he he knows army he knows their the parents not well but he's he's met them enough and, and he feels every bit of sorrow that they do but he knows that he is an outsider and probably shouldn't intrude on this um this moment so he is just nervously checking over his specimens and um and once they reach the mouth of the cave he'll probably start looking for shrike just something to keep his mind busy because he knows that there's going to be a lot of silence and a lot of pain for the foreseeable future and i think it is safe to say that the entire journey back out of the cave was in silence uh, other than army's mother crying quietly to herself there was no conversation there was really no noise that silence just settled over your group as you exit you come out of the mouth of the cave and spread out a little bit each moving apart from the group to just get a a sense of what next and in that moment the noise of the outside world comes crashing back on all of you not slowly but very suddenly and you hear the sounds not of battle but of absolute chaos so why don't I have you guys do a perception check now uh, with our easy roller dice. I easy rolled a 17. Five. Three. All right. So Dane is so completely focused on the lifeless body he is holding. He, he gets out of the cave. He hears all of this noise and chaos around him. It... It just drives him to his knees, not in a you got knocked over, but in a I just can't handle this reality. Uh, Michael, Army is putting on a brave front. She is incredibly sad by what has happened, but there is also this spark of I'm here with my parents and they don't hate me. So you are trying to balance those two emotions inside of army and you are trying to be there for your mother she collapses to the ground uh, both you and your father stoop down beside her holding her hand she's just inconsolable in this moment so i did want to ask that on the journey back are my parents injured at all from the ordeal? Because I still don't know how they were they dragged down there or whatever. So do they have any injuries? Uh, there are cuts and bruises and scrapes. Uh, you were very clearly able to see that they were bound at the wrist and dragged behind presumably this large creature that you just fought and killed. There are no broken bones. There are no massive bleeding wounds. So there are no immediate needs or threat of death. They are very clearly hurt, 
but it is more, much more emotional right now than physical. Right. Well, when uh, basically when my mother kind of drops to her knees, and I'll I'll actually drop beside her as well uh, with my father again, not falling, but like a controlled kneel, and I'll start kind of just putting my hands on her, just you know, to make sure that she's okay, sort of checking for her wounds. And as I'm doing that, sort of unbeknownst to me, there's a sort of a glow that starts to encase my body again, and her wounds actually heal at my touch. Now, she does not notice this at all. You notice it, but after the fact. This is not something that you are doing intentionally or by choice, but you notice as the light is receding, wait a minute, something just happened. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a com- comedic moment, but there is almost like a double take where, like, I thought she had scratches on her wrists and I thought she had a bruise forming on her face and those don't seem to be there now. And as you realize this, you look up to your father and he catches your eye and he looks at you puzzled, but then there's a moment of understanding in his face, which you yourself do not understand, but you know that this is not the moment to ask. As this is happening, Cassander is standing apart from these two groups of his friends. And he is looking out over the town, or I should say what is left of the town. As he he gazes over the reforged isles, remember you guys are up in the mountains a little bit, not all the way to the top, but up enough that you have a, a fairly comprehensive view of the island below. Cassandra, you see that a large portion of the town is on fire. You see that several buildings have been damaged from fighting. You do not see that the fires are out of control. The fires are not going out. It is a a steady burn at this point. You see small clumps of fighting scattered across the entire town below you. Looking out towards the ocean, the three un- comprehensible bulbous creatures have all split open and are floating there in the waves almost like a fleshy flower with with the sides draped down like almost like lily petals if you picture that in your mind even from where you are up on the mountain you can smell the stench of rotting flesh You can smell death and blood coming from the town. And you also notice that these fleshy things in the oceans are starting to sink. So it is not hard for Cassander to figure out that these things have served their purpose. They delivered their disgusting living payload and then maybe died, maybe were killed, and things are continuing to happen. So uh, what happens next? Um, Since Cassandra was probably the only one um, perceptive enough to to notice things going on, uh, he'll draw his longbow, and uh, just in case, and he'll probably walk to the best vantage point, not not leaving the eyesight of the dwarves, but uh, walk to the best vantage point on the like 
um, terraced area they're on and try and observe as much as possible. He's trying to make um, connections between the creatures and living things he understands. So he's making mental notes. He's decided to forego his notebook for the time and is just making a lot of mental notes while keeping an arrow and bow uh, at the ready should an Ithilic um, show itself on this slope. What is it that you see? The creatures that disgorged all those horrible things are dead. I, If they ever were alive and they are now sinking into the ocean and there's a few scattered groups of fighters, but it seems that we've won the day. Dane looks at you blankly with hollow, empty, sunken eyes. There are no words. It's just a look. All right, so I'm going to have you make two checks here for me, Matthew. First off, I'd like you to make a knowledge nature check. 18. Okay, so as you were standing there contemplating these creatures, you know that you have never seen anything like them before. And you know that there are many puzzles still to be deciphered. But you also have the feeling, and you don't know why you do, but you are certain that you are correct, that these Ithilic creatures were not born of the natural world. You feel that they were created by some outside force, some manipulator made with intention, with a purpose. And you feel that the black ichor that flows in their veins is not quite blood, but more the glue that holds their form together and also conveys the will of its creator to them. Now go ahead and make a perception check for me with advantage. Uh, 20, non-natural. So as you are standing there, Shrike flies back to your shoulder. And we confer with animal speech. In the way that only a druid can confer with his animal companion, such an inscrutable, unexplainable way it's not even in the book, Shrike relays to you some thoughts and feelings and emotions about what has been happening while you were gone. And with your keen eyes and her insight, you realize that the worst of the fighting is in fact over. The firebrands have routed the small Ithilic creatures. The chaos that you see below you is primarily the firebrands and temple guards and other survivors rushing about to put out fires to pull the dead or wounded out of destroyed buildings to make sure that the dead bodies of the Ithilic are actually dead and to make sure that there are no further threats hiding about the island. So essentially what you are looking at is a sweep of the island to make sure it is clear of enemies and the start 
of the recovery process. Can I see the temple from this vantage point? Yes. How does that specifically look? It is not on fire. That's good. And you cannot see clearly from your point on the mountain, but you do see movement to and from the temple. So it seems that that has become the hub of the recovery efforts. Okay. Now that I've established that the fighting has mostly concluded, I will stow my weapons, turn back to Dane and say, Dane, uh, could I help you with Tilly to bring her down the slope? No. Well, then uh, when everyone's ready, I think we should try to head back to civilization and try to help put out these fires. It would not do for us to have timbers to live in for the foreseeable future. Cassander, can we take my parents and Tilly to, to Long Garden until we've sorted things out? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, let, let's go. Let's just, um, I'm, I'm sure there'll be something there we can, uh, I, I have tea and, 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 and yeah, let's, let, let us be off. Dane hefts his now burden and marches in that direction. I will help my mom, my mother and father up and will continue to offer them support, though my mother seems to need it a little less. She is definitely moving easier at this point physically, but she has not recovered emotionally yet. Uh, however, she's not leaning on you as heavily. And as you walk with her and your father, you see that his demeanor towards you carries a little bit more respect. And it's almost like he's impressed with your abilities. He's not saying anything, but just from his body language. So I'm not sure that Army would actually pick up on that exactly. Like, she probably notices something, but I'm going to say that she's not exactly sure what it is just yet. That's fair. That's fair. I do have a negative one wisdom modifier. All right. So your group moves towards the Long Garden Estates. There is no threat or danger. Uh, you enter Cassander's home. He finds food and drink and comfort. He makes it available to all of you. Army's parents acknowledge it, but do not partake at this point. Once he's made everything um, available, Cassander goes about performing whatever rituals and, um, and assembly he needs to preserve the samples that he has collected he will frequently look over towards the dwarves to see how they are faring and if they need anything, but he will be very busy at the task at hand. And once all of the samples have been preserved, he will begin to write down the things that he uh, noted in his head in his books, uh, being attentive, but not um, overly so. So I want to jump in there because actually Army is going to disappear fairly early once once we arrive and once my mother and father are kind of situated, I'm going to make an excuse to go outside and then I'm taken off to town. I have other sisters that are still fighting and the town's on fire and I'm, I'm going to go get involved in that. But I'm not going to say anything. I don't want Dane or Cassandra to go with me. Dane will um, help himself to the greenhouse 
where the the professor raises some of his uh, slightly hotter plants, and he will um, not gently but not forcefully clear off uh, a large table where that that uh, had potted plants on, and uh, he lays out Tilly on that, and uh, then he finds a, a clean sponge and some clean water and begins to clean her of blood and wounds. Cassandra will be aware of both of these things and choose not to acknowledge either of them. All right, so why don't we follow Arami into town? If I come across any of these creatures, I will, you know, I'll obviously attack them, engage them. If, if there's other townsfolk that are fighting them, I'll join in. But I'm looking for my sisters. So every time I meet a person, have you seen my sisters? Have you seen, and I'll go through their list, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking for evidence that they're okay or that they're not. Okay, so you definitely pass many bodies, both dwarven, ithilic, and other races as well, because there were not just dwarves on these islands. There were other visitors and merchants there. So you see your fair share of of the dead. You do not see any living ithilics to engage in, Uh, but you do see some temple guards on for lack of a better term, kill duty, basically roaming the streets to make sure that the dead bodies are actually dead. Most of the people Arami asks about her family do not respond. They are grief-stricken. There is still battle lust and, and chaos reigning on the city, so most ignore her. And she moves on through the city uh, to continue to search. The The longer this goes, the more anxiety I'm getting, and the more frantic I'm getting. I probably will start running. And as I start running, I'm going to start crying because it's my physicalness and my emotional, you know, have sort of combined together. So I'm going to be a mess whenever I actually get, get somewhere. If I keep not getting answers, I'm going to turn and go towards the temple, which is where I assume anybody with any answers would be. And as Army runs through the town in this heightened state of panic and worry, she runs past the Sleeping Sphinx. It has not been damaged at all, even though some of the buildings immediately next to it or behind it have been. And in front of the building, she sees Captain Grimudgeon standing, helping some of... uh, some of the injured inhabitants of the town. He catches Arami's eye, instantly understands what she's looking for and what she's feeling, and points up towards the temple. All right, I give him just the barest of nods as I just keep running. So you run through the rest of the town. Uh, some of the damage is at its thickest here, where most of the buildings and homes were. You get towards the temple, and you can see that it is, in fact, teeming with activity. Uh, You can hear people shouting instructions to each other. You can hear people crying out in pain. Uh, You can hear wails of sorrow. There's just chaos, again, is reigning here. But you see that there is an order to the chaos. And the temple guards are marshalling people about. You can see that they are directing the injured to one part of the temple. You see they are directing survivors to another. 
All the doors of the temple are wide open. All of the torches and lamps are lit. It is blazing with light and activity. Uh, Standing in the main temple doors, kind of in charge of the, the guards themselves, where they are directing survivors and the injured and the dead, is Priestess Verilux. I would make my way towards her, still frantic. I'll pull up just just short of her and just basically meet her gaze, and I'm looking for answers in her eyes. You see relief that you are alive, but it is tinged with sorrow. So I will stammer out. All, all I'll manage to get out is sort of a weak sisters, and I'll just do a slight inflection at the end just to see what her reaction is. Most are fine. Most? What happened? Who? who? She pauses. It feels like forever to Army. In reality, it's a few seconds. They all fought bravely. They led us to victory. But Femir fell. My bottom lip will start to quiver, eyes start to water, and uh, I'll just say, Tilly, Tilly too. And then I'll just fall to my knee and just sort of like, almost like hug her knees and just start sobbing. So you don't even feel her reach down and try to comfort you. You are so overwhelmed at this point. So we... Cut to the next morning on the Reforged Isles. Dawn rises over a destroyed city. However, dwarves are a resilient bunch, so they are moving quickly to rebuild and care for their fallen brothers. At the temple, there is a massive funeral pyre being built. And starting really the night before, it has not yet been finished when dawn comes. So um, I'm assuming Famir's body, like it had already been discovered or, or recovered. So it's not like I have to go look into the town for it. So much like what Dane was doing with Tilly, I would spend that night preparing her body, cleaning it, you know, cleaning her wounds, that kind of thing. And uh, I would not want her to be part of the large pyre. I would want to do that privately. Anyone who would try to suggest otherwise immediately is turned away by Verilux herself. You have not paid attention to this, being focused on your sister and your grief, uh, but she has actually remained close by through the night. Still maintaining control and charge of the recovery operations in the city and the temple, but she has remained within eyesight uh, to care for you. All right, so the, the next day I would, um, I would want to get a, a litter put together and take uh, Famir's body back to Long Garden, and we can make preparations there with Tilly. And then I want to, I want to pause for a moment and in, just sort of in my head as I'm looking at Famir and she's wearing, you know, her armor of the firebrand, which is very distinctive, you know, sort of an honorific title. These are the elite guard of the island. And in my head, I, I kind of recall that, 
you know, Tilly was going to be a firebrand had she not become with child. And so I'm going to stop and essentially I'm going to make my way into the temple to where the extras of these would be kept. And I'm going to take the armor that would have been hers to take to Tilly. And then just before I leave, I'm going to just sort of like pause and look around and I'm going to, I'm going to find one that's not quite finished and grab it for myself. No one stops you or interrupts you. No one even notices. All right, so Arami carries the litter with Famir's body back through town. And in the light of day, she can see that as bad as everything is, it could be a lot worse. Buildings are already being cleared and rebuilt. Uh, The fire's are all out. Uh, Rubble is being gathered and pushed to the side. So it's not like the city is just dead. But there's still a lot of chaos and a lot of rebuilding to be done. Do I happen to see curmudgeon? Yeah, absolutely. The path you take to head back to Longgarden goes right past the sleeping Sphinx, and he is still there. All right, so I uh, I would take a moment to rest beside of him. He brings you a mug of ale because obviously you're you're thirsty, you're you're sweating. I'll you know take a take a long draw from it, and then I will say, I'm still willing to go with you when you go, but I'm going to need a few days to take care of some family matters. If you're willing to wait, if if not, I understand. But uh, I think it's I think it's time for me to leave. My ship will be ready when you are. Pats you on the shoulder. I'll just give him a nod. I'll finish the uh, the mug, hand it back to him, and just head on back to, or continue on my way towards Long Garden. So let's go back to the Long Garden Estates as Arami is approaching. What is happening there? Cassandra, what have you been doing? I've been trying to be a, as good of a host to the guests that I have as possible, uh, making beds and meals and drinks appropriate for them. And I have been helping Dane in any way he requires, not overstepping my uh, bounds, but asking before I do things, asking him if he needs help with things. I don't really know what he's about. I assume my greenhouse can survive without watering, so I'm I'm not too worried yet. But um, I have been requ- you know, asking him anytime I see him. Hey, you know, do you need me to um, come in there and 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 help you move some stuff? Because I don't sleep through the night, so I've been, while they've been snoozing, I've been sitting there looking at them, tossing and turning them pillows and whatnot. Also, I've been, you know, checking my research, cross-referencing things. Um, I've reopened my Dwarven Book of Funeral Rites to a blank page because I have a feeling I'm going to need a new entry. Has Dane been doing anything else other than tending to Tilly? We'll say that, that, uh... His tending of Tilly has has taken up most of Dane's uh, time. At the very least, he shows shown very little interest in anything aside from preparing for the funerary rites or uh, staring at her in uh, the remains of her dress. But uh, he's he's uh, started to to open up a little bit. He's he's um, been making eye contact and he's been uh, nodding and and he had you know, a full sentence or two exchanged with uh, Tilly's parents, uh, probably her father. Um, I would like to note that Cassander probably opened up all the windows in the greenhouse 
and definitely put out an a end table outside the door to the greenhouse with a a meal that can survive just being out so probably a bottle of something uh, a hard bread and maybe a like a, a preserved meat just in case dane wants to eat something so all this is happening in the morning Arami's mother by lara slept fitfully continually waking in tears uh Sometimes she would wake up screaming in fear, but then immediately Drogand, Armie's father, would be at her side, tenderly soothing her until she fell back to sleep. He did not seem to sleep much either. Cassander, being up, maybe saw him doze off once or twice, kind of that sitting there and you, your head nods forward and you wake yourself up right away. Mm-hmm. But he was pretty much awake all night too. As the morning progresses, you guys hear a noise coming up the road towards Long Garden. And you see Arami approaching, dragging something behind her. Dane will perk up to attention and uh, wait standing by the gate to the garden. I will uh, leave the gate and help Arami drag this litter up towards the house. So when you come down and join me, I I don't acknowledge you but i don't resist your help either mm-hmm. and you see so you see the body of the mirror you can tell that it's been cleaned similar to the way tilly was there's also two suits of uh, armor on the litter as well i will remark to myself but not out loud that it's good to have a fighter finally and uh help uh army get the body up toward the house so as the two of you bring the litter and the body of Femir into the property of Long Garden. Bailera looks up, sees what it is, and just collapses into tears again. And at this point, Drogand also sits down heavily and rests his head in his hands. Femir was the oldest daughter and seeing this has hit him incredibly hard. You can see his shoulders shaking. He is trying to hold it back and be restrained, but you know he is crying. Army's moved into the angry portion. Uh, I'm not angry at anyone. I'm just angry. So I really don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to try to be consoled. I just want to be angry. A funeral pyre is being built at the temple, and you know that... Typically, funeral rites include the ashes being scattered at sea after the body is burned. Uh, However, you guys have the bodies of Famir and Tilly with you. What will you be doing privately? I would leave that up to the family. Um, I would offer my space in any way that it can assist and my materials but I wouldn't. I know what the funeral rites are traditionally on this island, but I would not impose those those um, beliefs. I want to say, but it's not the right word. Those traditions onto them, however they choose to enact them. If there's a, a moment where Dane and Cassandra and I are all kind of secluded, I'll say I'm leaving. I spoke to Comrade. He's still willing to take me on his ship. I would like to see the the arrangements to Fertili and Famir, but uh, 
I don't plan on being on the island much longer, and, and I will certainly spread Famir's ashes from his boat and offer the same for Tilly if you would like it, Dane. A moment of, of panic, of, of gut-gripping fear wrenches across his face, and he blurts out, I can't lose you too! And then he regains his composure, and he says, uh, There's nothing left for me here. I'll, I'll gladly accompany you. I'll just give you like a sharp nod, but you can tell I'm relieved. I'll look at both of the dwarves in the face and say, you guys are the best friends I have on this island. I'm not really going to let you do this alone. So once we finish up here, we'll pack up shop and head out, I guess. I would be honored to have you join us, Cassandra. Thank you. Dane reaches up a hand to uh, rest on the shoulder. Thank you, my friend. We need to gather some wood for the for the pyre, and uh, we'll need uh, to gather the rest of my family, my other sisters and brother. And then I just want to like trail off, like like that's what needs to be done. But I'm in no shape to actually do that. And then I'm going to go out back and start using my hammer to chop wood because that's what I'm. I'm so angry. I'm just going to start breaking trees with my hammer. I am going to look for the siblings. Because I feel like that would be the best job for me since I am capable of speech at the moment. And I'll let them get wood and assemble the pyre and whatever other rites need to be done. Okay, so Cassander leaves Long Garden. He hears the crack of Army's hammer behind him. Uh, he hears Dane moving about... Dane has a little bit of purpose at this point, so you hear him moving into the house to gather some water and oils for cleaning and preparation of the bodies. Cassander goes down into town. It is a little bit later in the day at this point as he starts to walk around. The town is just like I described before. Things are being taken care of and cleaned and tidied, but there is a very deep sense of sorrow settled over the reforged isle. You walk past the sleeping sphinx and you see Captain Grimudgeon sitting on a bench outside. He seems to be relaxing a little bit. His, his feet are, are kicked back. He, he's drinking something from uh, a large mug. You can tell he's very tired, so he's just taking a breather. Uh, did you want to Stop and say hi or anything? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stop and, uh, and uh, dialogue with him for a minute. So as you walk by, he raises uh, his mug to you and nods. Captain. Cassander, we uh, had quite an event here last night, eh? Uh, that is a severe understatement, but yes. I've seen a lot in my time, but the slaughter I saw here was so severe, I don't know another way to put it. Yeah, it was something else. Um, word from Army is that we will be accompanying you once we have tidied up things with her family. A flash of interest crosses his face. Ah, I get the whole trio in my crew, don't I? So he sits up, takes a deep breath. You know, I think with all three of you on board, our voyage will be very interesting. And I'm very excited by what's going to happen next. 
we haven't reached the level of excitement yet, but I'm sure that that feeling is on the horizon. I hope you have enough room for a few of my books and specimens, but you'll find that my ship has adequate hold for all of your needs, Cassandra. But I do have some other duties to take care of here at the Sphinx and around town. I'm sure you do as well. Agreed. Till we meet again. Till we embark. And I will be off. So after that conversation, Cassandra can continue to walk through town a little bit. He, of course, finds his way to the temple because all roads lead there. That's what I've heard. And after a little bit of searching, he finds the remaining sisters, Ukara, Staga, Indergard, and Keda. They are alive. They are relatively unharmed. They are helping to tend the wounded, so they are staying busy. They are absolutely exhausted from the fights. You can just tell by looking at them that they are drained and pushing themselves to stay in motion. And that's why they are helping with the wounded, because it is kind of a rote task that they can just do without thinking too much. Are they all together, or am I approaching them singly? They're all in the same general area. Basically, the one wing of the temple is now a hospital, so that's where they all are. He will come up to the the, the group of them, or at least so he's in earshot of them. Copperfeet ladies, your sister Arme and Dane have gathered your fallen family members and we are holding a private service as soon as you're able to finish what you're doing here. It is at my estate, Long Garden, close to the, uh, the forest up the way. If you need directions, I can provide them for you. So they all look at each other, and there's a beat after they, after you stop talking. And now the youngest, Kada, looks at you. Family members? Who else has fallen? Um, there is absolutely no easy way to say this, but Tilly was also taken from us in the catacombs in the mountain during the attack. You can see a look of confusion and sorrow and anger flash across all of their faces in succession. Uh, Again, they all look at each other. There's just that beat of silence. I imagine fire flares up in some of their hairs at some point and... Magic swirls yeah. around at some point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good anger reaction. That definitely happens. Uh, but they they recover themselves. They recover their composure. They call over some of the temple guards and healers, give them the items and, and healing accoutrement they were using, and they follow you back to Long Garden immediately. I would also need Drogus. Do you ladies know where I could find him? They murmur that they have not seen him. Not among the dead, not among the injured. Then he will give them directions, and he will set off in the reverse direction, excuse me, in the converse direction towards where he thinks Drogus might be. So the sisters immediately set off towards Longgarden Estate. And Cassandra can search through the rest of the town, 
across the aisle. He cannot find Drogus. Oh, shit. Uh, okay. No one he asks knows where he is. The name is known. It's not like they don't know who Drogus is. They just have not seen him. At this point, Cassander will take to a more magical means of search. He will summon Shrike from her amblings in the sky, tell her to, to take a take an eye on the sky, and he would like to assume the shape of a dog and track Drogus in any way he can. Because now we've we're we're getting late in the day and he needs to be found. Okay, so I imagine that you would head back to maybe the Copperfeet home mm-hmm. to try to pick up his scent. There or the Sphinx, yeah. So you definitely pick up Drogus's scent. However, as you start to move through the city to try to follow it, you still cannot find him. You you can track it to it's kind of this direction, it's kind of that direction, but it always fades. There's no path it seems to be following. It is completely random without any resolution. By Kovar and Invar, this is frustrating. So during this search, why don't we go back to Long Garden and see what is happening up there? Dane, uh, as, as the day has worn on, he's opened up a little bit. Colors return to him. He's engaged... Um, his would-be in-laws in in decent conversation he's embraced them they've they've talked a little bit about funerary rites he's begun to eat and uh then uh, uh the the world outside of tilly kind of opens up begin into his mind the, the the fog lifts a little bit and and he can once again conceptualize um other times than the present and other people than the those present he he, he can think of um sort of causal effects and and the causal effect he thinks of is captain chimere dane you storm off head back into town and as you are looking for the captain you go to the temple you look around you don't find her anywhere you're just kind of storming aimlessly through town trying to stumble across her and you eventually find her on the docks, where she is supervising dumping bodies of the Ithalix back into the ocean. From uh, the opposite end of the dock, uh, the long wooden trellis, I assume, that extends into the, uh, the Warhammer Bay, Dane will call Captain Chimere and uh, stomp quite loudly up the decking toward her. She turns and looks at you. Uh, one of her arms is in a sling. And she has a couple very nasty gashes across her face. I uh, walk right up to her, uh, belying my former fear of this uh, complete powerhouse of a woman, this officer's officer. And uh, to her face, with with uh, one very blue finger aggressively jabbing into her breastplate, I will say, what did you know? And when did you know it that led to the death of Tilly and our unborn child? The silence is heavy in the air, and she just stares at you. I didn't know 
I'm sorry, Dane. I am... <sighs> I am truly sorry. And you've never heard her talk like this. Ever. Her persona and bluster is gone. The attitude she normally cops with you is gone. Well, uh, luckily, the anger frothing forth from Dane is making him rather immune to the reality of the situation, at least at present. He has a couple more good, violent, pointless outbursts before he'll start to sense again. And and uh, he blurts out, Sorry? You're, you're sorry? That is not good enough. You knew. You knew about the Ithlix. You knew why they were here. You knew what we were keeping from them, or what hold they had, what interest they had in this town, in this community, in our lives. And you allowed us to walk into this threat blind. I never meant it to go this far. I, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I was put in this position to prevent exactly this happening. And I failed. Dane feels extremely unsatisfied because he was really spoiling just for a fist fight, right? Just to mash someone in the face, right? Or be mashed in the face. He he needs to physically get this anger out, and so he'll he'll push harder. You know, he's he's jamming his blue little finger in her chest plate, pushing her back a little, hoping to provoke some sort of anger or response aside from shame or sadness that he can confront directly. And and he says, I know you're responsible. You're responsible for everything. But you have to tell us. What did you know? What is the purpose of keeping this a secret? Why the big hush-hush? Why did you keep this under wraps for so long? What possible purpose did that serve? There wasn't much of a secret, Dane. Everybody knew. I, I guess we got greedy. Everyone knew about the horrible monsters from the beyond? And the, the fact that they were kidnapping our children? Invading our caves? And... What, what were we greedy for? What, what do we have from them? Are you stealing from this nameless terror? She looks at you now with confusion. Caves? What are you talking about? They they come from the Everdeep. That's where all of our merchandise comes from. What, and and uh, not knowing which to issue first, I say, what merchant? The caves that are the endless terrors where the children go? What are you stockpiling? Merchandise? And I push her again just to see if she'll fight me. So she just rocks back on her heels. She is absolutely confused right now. She has no idea what is happening. Everything you're saying and what she's saying just doesn't match in her head. Wait, what caves? What are you talking about? They they weren't they were here. They didn't go to caves. They they attacked the city. They were trying to reclaim what we took from them. What are you talking about? Every time we fought these horrible beings, we've chased them into caves made of, of living stone that have ships passing through them and libraries into nowhere and staircases that lead only to madness and back to the same staircase. These, these impossible formless dimensions of terror deep into the earth that, that we've tunneled in to rescue the children for the temple, to, to rescue Tilly's parents, to, to watch Tilly die. They, they, they've taken these people into the great beyond. These spaces that shouldn't be. She raises her good arm and puts her hand on your shoulder. And she looks at you very seriously. Dane, listen to me. I don't want to hear your excuses. I want you to make this right. I don't know how, but you have to make this right. I don't care what this stuff is you've been bringing in. It's not worth it. And then Dane will take the opportunity to spin on his heel and huff off. Having not actually learned what it is they're stockpiling or smuggling or doing... 
But uh, having made a big blustery outburst that made him sort of feel satisfied, and, and maybe he'll find someone drunk at the bar on the way back to punch. So Chimir just stands there and watches you go. And if this was a movie, the camera would just show her looking very confused and incredibly sad. You see the weight of responsibility heavy on her shoulders. All right, so as that is happening, let's cut back to Arami for a moment. Uh, What is she doing at Long Garden? Literally using her hammer to cut down trees, breaking limbs off and basically gathering enough fire and kindling for the pyre. And she's been doing this pretty much nonstop. She's not been drinking anything or eating anything. And she's got to the point where she's physically weak and starting to sort of shake, almost like she's going into like a low sugar situation. Uh, She's kind of off by herself, so there's no one around. Uh, Her hands have blistered. Those blisters have broken, and there's just like seeps of blood that are kind of running down, and they're coating the the handle of her her warhammer. And uh, there's a moment where... Just in her exhaustion and and the slipping of the, the Warhammer, she basically swings as hard as she can and just misses. And so she just does like a complete whiff. And so like a, you know, a, a kindergartner in T-ball, I do the thing where I, like I spin around uh, where I've whiffed so far that it actually causes me to fall. And then I just start just bawling, just unabashedly sobbing. Uh, crying, I'll bring my hands up and just, you know, cover my face and just get little drops, sort of smears of blood on my brow and my cheek, and I'm just crying by myself out in the woods. And we will draw a curtain on that moment of emotion, and we'll go back to Cassander in town. Uh, In your canine form, you have covered the length and breadth of the Reforged Isle, Sniffing everywhere, looking everywhere. You smell the scent you picked up of Drogus, but again, you cannot follow a trail. You you pick it up in one building, it goes down an alley or a road, dissipates. You pick it up a few blocks over, it moves a totally different direction, dissipates. Between you and Shrike searching, he is nowhere. <sighs> Cassander will catch eyes with Shrike, uh, make a uh, eye communication of some way between animal to animal, let out the saddest howl that a dwarven war dog, which is the form that I'm in, can muster, and sadly trot back up to Long Garden to inform the family of his failings. So a few hours pass, and Arami has recovered her emotions enough that she can start to pile all the wood she has cut or smashed into a a very large funeral pyre. The sisters have all joined together to help prepare the bodies of Tilly and Famir. They have not stopped Dane from helping, but they have kind of made it clear that they're in charge, but if he's there to help, that's fine. They're lucky Dane worked out his anger issues a bit ago. <laughs> they they pretty much 
they were there preparing all the bodies. You stormed back in, and you kind of moved over to Tilly very possessively, and they backed away. So they focused on Famir then and are preparing her in military fashion at this point. But a couple of them come over and silently offer to help you with Tilly, handing you bandages, herbs, oils. Basically, the bodies are wrapped over and over in layers of cloth. And between all the layers of cloth, there are things like stones etched with runes, different oils, different herbs laid in a very strict ritual pattern. And then everything is uh, anointed with some different types of oils and liquids uh, before the bodies are carried to the funeral pyres. Bailara has been off to the side the entire time. She has been unable to help, but she is looking on as well as she can. Drogon is staying by her side and supporting her. When Cassandra returns without Drogus, that sends Bailara into another fit of tears and sorrow, and Drogon gets a very hard, concerned look on his face. Cassandra will not allow that to will not allow thoughts of that to linger on that he is also passed. He will assure them that he never found a body and he never found any evidence that there should be a body. But for all intents and purposes, Drogus is missing, but not necessarily dead. And he will make it a personal point to impart that on to the parents. Bylara just doesn't react at all to what you're saying. But Drogon nods silently, but he nods his thanks to you. I would like to think that I started that conversation as a dog. And then uh, as I was talking, I and I came, came into actually speaking at them. I initially started just whining and barking at them before I was actually speaking dwarvish to them. That's fair. So uh, while my sisters are preparing Vermeer and Tilly's bodies after I've returned with the, the wood, uh, I would take that second suit of armor that I had gathered and I'm going to remove all of the decorations that would sort of indicate that it's a firebrand armor. So it's still the armor, but it doesn't have any of the things that are distinctive about it, the colors, any regalia, and I'm going to basically put it on and I will wear it at the funeral. All right, so... With the bodies fully prepared, the sisters all pick up Famir in her full military regalia, which has been laid atop of all the wrappings and ritual items, and carry her in a, a very slow, locked march step to the pyre. I'm going to assume that Dane picks up Tilly. He will participate as a pallbearer, yes. Will you be the solitary pallbearer, or will you let us help you? No, the, I, I assume it's it's a group effort, right? The whole family needs touch and physical contact. Yeah. Okay. Then I will watch, because I'm not family. So yes, after the sisters carry Famir over, then they come back and, in an unspoken way, offer to help you with Tilly. Uh, but they let you take the lead and very respectfully lend their strength 
Uh, after both bodies are on the pyre, Drogon helps Bylera up, just bodily lifting her to her feet. And they walk to the pyre, and he rests his hand on the forehead of, of both of his daughters for a moment. And then he steps away, again moving Bylera with him. Army would essentially do kind of the same, but before I leave, I'll, my hand will kind of go down to Tilly's belly. And I'll kind of have it just over there for a few, lingering for a few seconds before I turn away. Um, and if anyone notices, my hands are actually no longer bloodied or blistered. They, they seem to have healed themselves. Dane will uh, stand before the pyre, uh, dangerously close, so that he can let the heat bake into his flesh. And he can let the smoke boil into his lungs. And he can let the the bright light of the pyre sear into his eyes until all that his after image is is the pyre to make that last as long as he possibly can and you all stand there while the fire burns eventually the smoke clears and the fire dies and all that is left is a pile of ash the bodies and the wood were completely consumed the armor itself has melted down. The powers of the firebrand burn hotter than any other fire in the known world. And it has raised these bodies and destroyed them completely. Dane um, leaned down into the, the ashen remains. But before they're really cool, and he will take uh, a stone, one of the sacred stones, the, the tombstones that are used with, with the dwarven rune on it. The, he takes the chest stone from Tilly, and he grabs it in his hand, although it's still uh, not quite white hot, but, but very clearly very hot, and uh, there's the sound of sizzling and uh, light uh, smell that's lost in the, the other sense of, of the ceremony, and he holds it until it cools off and then uh, places it very carefully in his chest pocket. Cassander will have the appropriate bottles or urns presented for each sister. They will be labeled with their names and um, surnames, and he will present them to each respected member so he will give one to the parents and one to dane for the collection of the ashes so the vessels that cassander has prepared there are very small vessels for each individual family member and in turn they can step forward and gather up some of the ashes typically the uh, funeral practice is then for each of these member, each of these family members, to kind of go off and have their own private moment to disperse those ashes into the waves, their last final goodbye. Some though choose to keep the ashes to keep the memories of their loved ones with them. Uh, culturally, either is acceptable. There, there's no incorrect practice here, but there are two larger vessels each beautifully etched with runes and the names of Tilly and Famir. And Drogand 
stoops and gathers the ash, uh, splitting it between these two vessels. When they're full, he seals them closed and walks over to Arami and hands them to her and very quietly <sighs> give them their final rest. And he turns and walks back to Bailara and embraces her, and they are both sobbing and weeping. The four sisters are off to the side. Tears are streaming down their face, but they are holding themselves with military training. They have not broken down, but they are visibly weeping and visibly sad. After the funeral rituals conclude, it, by this point it is late in the evening, uh, everyone retires to Long Garden to rest. The four sisters return to the temple to go back to their duties. Arami, you are sleeping there on one of Cassander's guest beds, and you're trying to rest, but you are tossing and turning, and you are having another one of these very vivid, very real, very strange dreams. Is there any specific imagery that I'm seeing? Is it all just like a cacophony of randomness? You awake in a sweat after the dream concludes. You remember nothing but random images. You seem to recall tentacles, skeletons, something chasing you or you chasing something. And lurking at the edge of your sight a shadowy figure that you think you know but cannot identify. I won't like bolt upright in like a <laughs> sort of situation, but I'll, I'll sit up and kind of look around. At, you know, I'm sure there's other people, mom and dad, that are probably still here also sleeping in the guest bedrooms. And I'll realize that I'm the only one that's awake. Uh, Cassander doesn't have to sleep, but he's probably in his room or somewhere. I don't see him. Uh, so I'm going to get up, walk around. I'll, I'll go get like some water from a basin and kind of rinse my face. And I, there's just a, an unease. Like there's almost like there's like unfinished business that is just keeping me from being restful. And uh, I'm going to find myself walking outside and back towards where the, the pyre was and where the, you know, the remains of the ashes are now that haven't been collected. And I'm just going to kind of wander around it for a few minutes aimlessly. And then eventually I'm going to kind of walk and step into the center of it and kind of just like sit down and then lay down. So I'm lying in the ashes. And uh, as I'm laying there, I'm going to kind of just reach around with my right hand and just sort of swirl the ashes. And my hand is going to come across um, like a stone. And um, just something about it, it's, you know, seems off. So I'm going to pick it up. And at this point, it's obviously it's dark outside. And without even consciously doing it, my left hand is going to start to glow with a, a light of its own so that I can see. And the stone that I found is one of the stones that are used in the ritual and it uh, it has the runic symbol for family but it's gotten so hot that it cracked it didn't shatter and break into pieces but there's clearly fractures that are running through the symbol and um it just sort of feels comfortable in my hand and it's sort of just holding it puts me at a peace 
and I'm actually going to fall asleep there in those ashes. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.